Hi, you're listening to Currently Processing. It's a show about women for women. We interview brave entrepreneurs and innovators who have overcome obstacles in their lives. We get up close and personal with topics ranging from self-care tips, the importance of mental health, and the lessons they've learned on their journey. Come along. I am your host, Risha Dallas. On today's episode, we have Kate Christie. Kate Christie is a friend, and I met her while being in Kelly Bennett's incubator. Kate is a graphic designer, and she actually makes really great websites. And it's like super chic, and it's amazing, honestly. <laughs> and I'm not even lying. During this episode, it's a really good episode. It's it's my longest episode so far. And we just talk about being entrepreneurs and having to wear all the hats. And she's also a mom, so she has to think about that. And she just had a baby, so she also has to think about that. It's really a good episode, and I hope you enjoy it. And without further ado, here is the episode. Can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? I'm Kate Christie. I run a web design studio called Folk Founded, and I've been running my business now for three or four years. Can't quite remember, but I work with creative entrepreneurs kind of in the early stages of business and then getting into those later stages where they found their footing, they know what they're doing, they know where they're going, and they kind of ready to invest in design at that point. And so that's like the professional side of things. And on the personal side of things, I'm a mom. I have three kids, just added a new one to the brood this year in January. So two boys and a girl, ages seven, four and a half and two months, and also wife. If I had any spare time, I'd probably have hobbies, but just not in that season of life right now. So let's say if you didn't have children, what would your hobbies be at this stage of life, do you think? Oh, man, that's a good question. I've always been a very creative person, so I would tend to find myself getting involved in any kind of creative project. Like when we bought our house, that kind of turned into, oh, let's decorate this room or let's paint this room or, you know, pick out art for a gallery wall. So I would channel that creative energy into things like that. I was more athletic before I had kids. So I ran half marathons with my cousin and we did a lot of outdoors, just getting outside. A distant runner or a fast runner? Oh, not fast. Um, (laughs) Well, my husband and I used to live in the Outer Banks, North Carolina, so a small beach town. My cousins lived there too. And so we actually lived in like the same apartment condo complex. And so we just get up early in the morning and go for a run by the beach. And then afterwards we go hunt sea glass. That was like our activity we'd like to do together. So we would train for half marathons and we ran a couple half marathons together. And I still sort of have full marathon on bucket list, but let's be realistic. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe someday I'm not going to rule it out. So we would do that for fun running. I don't sound very fun now. Um, (laughs) I didn't have kids now. I don't want to still be a runner. (laughs) To me, running seems like punishment, but for other people, it's freeing for their mind. Is it like that for you? Oh, no. 
<laughs> I don't think so. Even though it was just two of us, it was like the group activity, you know, doing something. We would talk and that was like a social thing for me too. So I think that was more so the thing that I got out of it. Being physically healthy was like a, a byproduct of my socialization. <laughs> Are you a less social person now? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Because I work from home, running my own business. Like that that's something that people don't necessarily talk about or they're not talking to me about it, I guess, is being an entrepreneur and running your own business can be very isolating and very lonely. That's the side that people don't talk about as much. So I work from home, live in my home, obviously. You actually have to be very intentional about going out and creating socialization activities and things like that. And especially having kids, that's something that just gets pushed for me further down the list of priorities. When you do have those pockets of time or you're not being intentional about creating that time for yourself, it doesn't make the cut. So that's kind of a bummer. But my husband and I actually went out to a surprise birthday party for a friend last weekend at a brewery downtown outside. And that was like one of the first things we had done social activities since mm -hmm. COVID. And I was kind of like, I feel like I'm misbehaving a little bit because I'm like out in public with a whole bunch of people. Mm -hmm. And it was like a shock to the system because I just had not done that in years, literally. It was so jarring. <laughs> yeah. And it was kind of like, are we going to get in trouble for this? You know, 34 years old, like, am I going to get in trouble <laughs> for being bad? <laughs> but, <clears throat> but that was really good for the soul to actually go out with people in my age and have conversations with other adults. Because even though I work with really cool people and really cool projects, it's still not that social outlet that you get when you go to work in a place with colleagues, with other people. Yeah. So no, I'm not a very social person <laughs> these days. Has that changed your mental health? Are you now more anxious because you're not around people? Or are you now more introverted because you're just working with yourself, working with clients, but through a computer? How has that changed your life, really? Yeah, I'd say that I probably fare a little bit better in this situation because I am naturally introverted and I'm definitely one of those people who need my alone time when I need to recharge. I want to be left alone. I kind of want to go into my cave. I kind of go along and I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then I hit that. Mm, you yeah. need to stop. You need to call somebody. You need to go out and have a conversation with another adult, basically. Mm -hmm. You have to actively make that decision. And sometimes doing any kind of social activity, it just kind of gets pushed to the side or pushed down to the bottom of the priority list. And so I find that I kind of just like cruise along, basically like cruise control on and then all mm -hmm. of a sudden, oh my gosh, I need to talk to someone. I need to go hang out with my friend. I need to go out and have lunch with someone or even get on a Zoom call with another creative and just have a 15 minute, 20 minute coffee chat or something like that. It definitely has affected my mental health being an entrepreneur, working from home, and then putting on top of that, the kids, you have to be very intentional about making time for it. And no one else is going to do it for you, you know? Mm -hmm. And when you're in other settings where you are going out to work or my kids school age, they're not quite at that age where they're involved in a whole bunch of stuff. So I haven't kind of hit that making friends with their friends, parents mm -hmm. age of life yet. And I don't know if I'm ready for it or not. <laughs> You know, it's like all through life, you create bonds with people based on proximity. Exactly. 
things that you're involved in, you play sports or you're in clubs or whatever in school, and then those become your friends because you have those similar interests. There's a lot more choice and decision to be made. Yeah. And now with like access to everyone, everywhere, mm-hmm. all the time, it's like, I can be friends with people all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I have started doing recently, and I can't take credit for it, but other studio designers, they, you know, comment on some stuff on their Instagram and we started conversations in the DMs and then they were like, you want to have a coffee chat on Zoom? I was like, we can do that? Yeah, Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It just never occurred to me to do that. So that's something I've started trying to implement and just like making time to just talk to other people because my husband is so tired of hearing Hey, I had this idea. <laughs> what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. You know, especially finding people who are kind of at the same stage in life. And I find like talking with people who are at the same stage and in their business, building their business and just having those types of conversation creatively. Like as a designer, I, I kind of need that sounding board and feedback. I used to work somewhere where there was another designer and we would just, you know, bounce ideas off each other and talk about what was going on in the design world. And now I'm running my own studio by myself and I'm like, I don't have that other person. It's like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. So you have to seek those people out. But luckily we have the internet, I suppose. How much of design do you think is collaboration? Collaboration with the client? Yeah, with the client or with a colleague. This is an interesting question because there's a lot of noise in general out in the world. But in the design community, I feel like there are kind of two sides of this fence where one is like, I'm the designer, I'm the professional, I'm the expert, you come to me, I'm going to solve your problem. There's the other side where you're the business owner, you know what's best, you know your business. And so I feel sticking to one side or the other, you can kind of get yourself in trouble because on one side where you're like, I'm the expert, you're not really taking in the information from the business owner that Mm -hmm. might be crucial to creating the best solution that you possibly can. But then the other side of that is if you're letting them drive, they might kind of end up somewhere not as purposeful and strategic as it could be. So I think that sweet spot in the middle, which is that collaboration, that's really what I'm striving for because at the end of the day, I'm the professional, I'm the expert, and they've come to me. But more than that, I think as a designer, I want to be the hands that craft their, as cheesy as this sounds, crafts their dreams. They have these goals that they've started their business for a reason and they're typically passionate about it. And I want to be someone who can help them facilitate that and make that a reality. And so that's kind of where I want to position myself in the equation. So I think it should be 100% collaborative. I don't think the business owner or the designer should really get behind the wheel and go full speed without the other one putting in at least 50% of it. Yeah, that makes sense. When did you get into design? Officially, probably what I could pinpoint that's what I wanted to do. I would say middle school yearbook. I've always been creative. It's funny looking back now, I would create businesses when I was a kid and like we would play shop or have a store or something like that. And I would make business cards for me and my cousins and make the signs. And so I was branding these play businesses that we'd make up and then pretend we were the shopkeeper or whatever. So I was doing that when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And then 
I got into yearbook in middle school, kind of was like an elective to figure out what we wanted to do, what kind of classes we wanted to take in high school. And so I was like, oh, I really like this. This is super cool. And so I stuck with yearbook and I was editor in chief my senior year and got to design the whole yearbook. And it's so embarrassing looking back at it now because I'm like, oh my gosh, look how big that font is. As long as it's not Comic Sans, I think you're fine. It wasn't that bad, but it was funny. Then like maybe 10th or 11th grade was like when I realized a graphic designer was an actual profession. And so once I figured that out, once I had that vocabulary, I was like, that's what I want to do. I was like, where do I need to go to do that? And, you know, at that point, I was in high school, 11th grade, I guess. And I talked to my guidance counselor and was like, this is what I want to do. Where do I need to go to be a graphic designer? What college do I need to go to? And she's like, how about this one? I was like, great, let's apply. But I was on that track where I was like, okay, I'm in high school. I'm getting good grades. I apply to college. I go to college. And then once I get out of college, I got to get a job in my field with benefits. It was like that, you know, your parents are the last generation that could get away without, you know, going to college. You have to go to college. And so I was on that track. Yeah. So I went to school for design, got the job in the field and did that for eight years. And here I am three years after leaving that job. What was the makeup in your college classes? Like male, female? What was the ratio? I went to James Madison University, which was a women's college. And the kids in the school were, I think, maybe like 70, 30, like female to male. So the classes reflected that a little bit too. So it was mostly female, maybe two to five males in any class at a given time. The art specific classes, like design specific classes, more the gen ed stuff. I have no idea what that ratio was. You go in this big auditorium rooms are like 300 kids. Mm-hmm. And did you like having mostly women to collaborate in college? Yeah, it was cool. I'm so glad that I had that college experience that I did. Now being on the other side of it, you know, looking back on like, oh, I followed the script because that's what I had to do. I'm very much right now of the opinion that if my kids want to do something where they need to go to college to do it, like you want to be a lawyer, you want to be a doctor, you know, something that you actually need to have a college degree for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go to college. I'm all for that. But if you want to be a graphic designer, you want to be a web designer, you want to do something that you can go to a trade school for or take online courses and certifications or whatever, like do that. I think there's so many options for alternative education now, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. But there is something to be said about being in community with those people that are working towards the same goal as you. So being in class with all the other people working towards becoming graphic designers and being able to collaborate on projects. And then we would have critiques, which sounds like that would be like the worst part of it, but it was the best part of it because everyone put their stuff up on the wall and we'd all sit there and just talk about it and come up with ideas and suggestions. It's a very unique experience. So I very much enjoyed my time with those other people so long ago. (laughs) (laughs) Many, many years ago. After college, where did you go? After college, I didn't move to Outer Banks right away. So I grew up in Virginia and I went to school like an hour away from where I grew up. So I didn't really spread my wings very early on. Mm -hmm. And after I graduated, 2010, I think. Yeah. So the job market was still kind of crap at that point. And I'm sure everyone has had this told to them. But, you know, you apply for a job. They're like, well, we're looking for someone with a little more experience. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, But also (laughs) you need to have gone to college for 10 years. 
<laughs> it's like, well, how do I, how do I get the experience if no one gave me the job because I don't have the experience? The summers in between college, I would wait tables, and so I was like, one last summer, one last two raw as a waitress and a bartender, and then I'm going to get real serious and find a job. And so I did that, and my cousins who still live in the Outer Banks, they were like, you should come down here and check it out. And I was like, okay, sure, no problem. And I went down there and it was like February. And the first day I was there, it was like 72 degrees, sunny, perfect. We went on a bike ride. I was like, this is magnificent. <laughs> of course I'm going to move here. And so I applied for a couple of jobs down there and ended up getting one, which was awesome. And so I was like, all right, cool. Like it's a job in my field. There are some benefits. So I'm checking all these boxes that the parents want me to check. Mm-hmm. So I stayed there for a couple of years. I think three years we were down there. And then my brother and his wife had a, their first child. And I told my husband, I was like, we got to go closer. I can't be six hours away from this baby. And so then we moved back closer to home. And we're in Roanoke, Virginia now, which is where my brother is with his baby. Who's going to be 10 this year. <laughs> Since you're mentioning babies, mm-hmm. how is it being a new mom with a thriving business? It's absolutely insane. I had my first child while I was working for someone else and my second child. So I had that, well, he has to give me maternity leave. They have to take care of it. It's not my problem while I'm gone, you know? And so I didn't have any pressure of keeping things afloat when I worked for someone else with my first two kids. Granted, I did keep them home with me. I was working remotely by the time I had my first child. And so I did take care of him and work at the same time, which was insane. And I did the same thing with the second one, but for only six months, I was like, let's find a babysitter. (laughs) And so they both were out either in preschool or at daycare while I was still working for someone else. But then whenever I started my business, I, time is so insane. I can't even place when things were in relation to like when the pandemic started. I'm like, when did I start my business? And then when did the pandemic happen? Yeah. So they were away at school and daycare. And then yeah, pandemic happened 2020, of course. And I had two of them at home with me full time running my business and also doing homeschool with my oldest doing virtual school because that was an option and we chose it. I don't know why (laughs) (laughs) for the whole year. So that was insane. And then they went back to school. It was like the end of 2021 school year. So like spring, summer 2021, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, Kane's going to go back to school. Locke's going to start preschool in the fall. These kids are going to be, you know, not here with me while I'm working five days a week. And I'm going to have this time to work. Like things are starting to look up. And then I found out I was pregnant in May 2021. And I was like, oh, Lord. Life is funny. <laughs> yeah, it was It was a big surprise because I was like, I'm kind of cresting the hill of where I'm going to coast down and things are getting easier for me in relation to running a business and being a mom at the same time. I was stupid then. <laughs> so naive. So naive. But all jokes aside, I'm very happy that I have all three of my kids. I love being their mom, but it's freaking hard. It is insane. And I forgot, even though it was four and a half years ago, I forgot what it was like to have a baby attached to you 24 7. 
Mm-hmm. I think you have to forget so that you keep having babies so that the human race keeps on, keeps on. But it's insane, especially with social media, whether it's a highlight reel or not, you see other people doing what they're doing out there. And then you catch yourself thinking, well, if I didn't have to be a mom 50% of the time, I would be so much further along in my business. Or if I didn't have all this time dedicated to raising a family, I could be further along. And you have those thoughts and you're like, oh my gosh, am I a bad mom because of having these thoughts? So it's a doozy to juggle it like actually physically, but then also mentally because you're a human and you have desires and you have dreams and goals. And, you know, I think part of what I experienced from that generational script, as I like to call it, my parents, their generation, they're like, well, your job is is being a mom and your job is raising your kids. And I'm like, yeah, that's one job. You know, the other mm-hmm. job is I have this business that I'm not just running because it makes me money. I'm doing it because this is literally what I was made to do. If I don't create, if I don't actually take these ideas in my head and manifest something on a screen or something that can be printed, like it just festers in me. So if I were to just shut down and be like, you're not a designer anymore, you're a mom. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I would be a very nice human <laughs> because all that creative energy would just kind of fester and turn mm-hmm. sour. But yeah, so being a mom and running a business is insane. And so since this was my first time having a baby not working for someone else, yeah, with that like guaranteed six weeks paid maternity leave, if you live in the U.S., <laughs> as wonderful as that sounds, I didn't really navigate a maternity leave. I'm doing air quotes for myself. And so I just kind of put my head in the sand about it and I didn't do anything about it. And I didn't tell people about it because I was afraid that they would think, oh, she's not going to have time for me. She's a new mom. She's going to have the brain scramblies and I can't trust her. And she won't be able to meet deadlines. She won't be able to take care of my project. And so I just like didn't tell people that I was having a baby and that I needed that time off because I was having a baby. And I don't know why I thought that that was the right thing to do. Definitely wasn't the right thing to do. I don't suggest anyone do that. But it was a real thing that I had to make a decision about. And I just kind of didn't make a decision about it. And now I'm two months on the other side of having had the baby and not having a maternity leave. And I'm like, man, I really should have taken that maternity leave. (laughs) Maybe I will now. I mean, might as well. Yeah. I keep telling myself, once I get all these projects off my plate, then I'll have my maternity leave. I'm being silly, naive Kate again. (laughs) (laughs) How does it work when you work from home with maternity leave? I don't know because I didn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess working for yourself, like you just have to be that boss and budget the time and the finances and all that stuff for it. And that's another reason why I didn't do it because I was an entrepreneur running your own business, not having that reliable paycheck every two weeks. You know what that amount's going to be. Every single project that comes up or every single inquiry, your immediate inclination is like, yes, yes, I need to do this because I need to make this money because I don't know when the next money's going to come, you know? And Mm -hmm. even though you look at your bank account, you're like, oh, I have enough money in my bank account. I don't have to say yes to everything. You know, even when I kind of got to that point, 
I was still like, I need to say yes. I need to say yes. I need to say yes. Because even though I have enough money now, I might not have enough money in six months or I might not have enough money in three months. I might not have, you know? Yeah. There's always that uncertainty of what the inquiries are going to be like to what the sales are going to be like. You know, I I wonder if that ever goes away (laughs) or not. I hope Mm -hmm. it does. But yeah, and that was like another factor in the maternity leave was like, well, I kind of thought to myself, I need to do as much work as I possibly can right up until I have her. Is that that what you did? That was what I did. And that was insane because then everything that didn't get done was like sitting there waiting for me when I came home from the hospital. And I'm like, that's a bad idea too. (laughs) But it all worked out. Everyone got their files, their websites. I finished out all the projects that I had promised to do. So it worked out for them. But I would say if I had to do it again, which I won't, I would not do it that way. How would you do it? I would start planning for my maternity leave the minute I found out that I was pregnant. (laughs) Just starting to set aside the finances for it and also prepping my clients. I don't know why I thought that people were like, oh, she's going to have a baby. She's no good to me after she has a baby. Mm. I feel like it's like that in America. (laughs) Maybe that's why. (laughs) Just as good as your last work or what you did. And as soon as women have babies, then to some people, they're useless and they can't get things done. Yeah. You know, and being a one person show, too, it's like I don't have this junior designer or sidekick or someone who can help me. And then and, and people know that, too. At least the clients that I work with know that. So I guess I thought, well, they're not going to be able to depend on me if I have a baby, which is not true. And that's really sad. Sad saying that out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that moms naturally being multitaskers are more equipped for being entrepreneurs? I would say women in general, yes. But I also think that multitasking can not be such a positive thing because then you just kind of feel like you're biting off little bits of a thousand different things every day. And then you sit down at the end of the day and you're like, what did I get done? When literally you're getting it all done all the time, but Mm -hmm. you don't have, when you're splitting up stuff, multitasking and trying to do a little bit of everything every day, you are accomplishing things. But when you look at your to-do list and you have this like one really big thing on there and it takes you a week or two weeks to do it, to get it from start to finish, that can be very defeating feeling. And like I was telling you before we hit record, my mom's been here today taking care of Maz, my daughter. While the kids were at school, I was able to sit at my desk and build most of a website project that I'm working on. And I feel like a million freaking bucks right now because I got this like huge task done today because I wasn't doing all these other little things and kind of juggling my two-month-old. She'd bring her up and I'd feed her and she'd take her away. And so it was just nice to to have that chunk of time to knock off that big thing on my to-do list. But I think it's like a blessing and a curse because I heard this quote or read it or I don't know, but it's like women are expected to work like they don't have children and a mother like they don't have a job. And I'm like, God, that's some heavy expectation. Yeah. And that's terrible because I know that a lot of people feel that way. You feel guilty for investing time and energy into your business instead of your family. And then you feel guilty when you're not checking all these things off your list on your business because you're doing X, Y, and Z with your family. And this past week, 
my kids had the stomach bug and this year feels like they're sick every other week. And I'm like, can I get a break, please? Mm. Can they just go to school for the seven hours they're supposed to, for the five days a week they're supposed to, so I can get the work that I'm done or the work, oh my gosh, brain scramblies, mom brain, the work that I need to get done, done. But then I'm like, why am I rushing life? That's not what it's about. Your kids have the stomach bug. Like they're not going to be crawling up in your lap when they're 17 years old with a stomach bug. You know, enjoy it. Even though it's Mm -hmm. stomach bug, enjoy this time and just kind of take a step back and have a little perspective. And that's something that I'm working on. Hard thing to juggle. I know before you mentioned a to-do list, I'm really curious about your to-do list. Is it super organized? Are there pictures with it? Because you being a designer or is it just online? You plug it in, input, output type of thing? I wish I was the person who had a very organized to-do list in one of those cool platforms (laughs) like Asana, but I'm not. I'm a pen and paper to-do list person. And I've like been trying to fight it. And I'm just like, just give into it. That's who you are. Embrace it. And unfortunately, it's like a bunch of little to-do lists all over the place that have a lot of the same tasks on them. And then at some point I'm like, okay, let me (laughs) collate all my to-do lists into one to-do list and make sense of this. So it's usually just a bunch of paper with a bunch of tasks written on it and no drawings because even though I'm a designer, I'm quite terrible at actually drawing with my hand, pen and paper. Interesting. Well, how did you know you wanted to do design? It was the organization of it, I think. I guess I was like kind of type A. I don't think I am anymore, not because I don't think that's my nature, but I think it's because the circumstances of being a mom and just everything being in chaos, I was just like, let it go. But I think it was the ability to take ideas and take things that weren't quite tangible yet and make them into something tangible and organize them and in a way that made sense. I think that's what ultimately kind of led me to being a designer. I don't know if that makes any sense. Using your imagination and making it into yeah, fashion. Thinking about the yearbook being the starting point for all of it was taking all of that data, all of that information and compiling it into this, what I thought at the time was a beautifully designed uh, (laughs) yearbook and just finding patterns in layout and creating something that was useful, but yet beautiful. I actually started out my design career as a print designer instead of a web designer, because at first I had a web design class in college and we built websites in Dreamweaver, which probably means nothing to any listening, <laughs> but it was torture. And it was literally like writing all the code for the website, like mm-hmm. writing the, the framework, the HTML, writing the design code, the CSS. And it was terrible. And I was like, this is not for me because this is intense and scary. But I've found now that I really enjoy that aspect of design and why I've become a web designer because I enjoy that kind of finding the patterns in the code and solving problems visually. And so I think that's really what drew me to web design now. It's just kind of like organizing ideas and concepts and then creating something beautiful, but yet functional. But then like on the back end, I'm like, you don't even know how many times I troubleshooted this to like make sure this was the absolute best way to code this section. Like, no one knows this. This is just like me torturing myself. But 
That's the type A part. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's like still living in there. Not so much on the like, I keep my counters clean and my house clean kind of way. But uh, the code and your website is freaking clean, people. <laughs> <laughs> one question. Well, more than one question. Okay. So I have a question. Okay. I got answers. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Since 2020 and the pandemic, I think it's like 65% of the new business owners who created businesses were women or I think women of color. What advice would you give people who probably have a business that sells goods to consumers? What advice would you give them to create their website? What should they do? Should they do it themselves? Should they get a designer to help them? I am 100% an advocate for investing in what you can and should invest in in the right time in your business. And so I think a lot of people get really worked up about, you know, I need a custom website if I want to be successful. And people are telling me like, if you want to stand out, you need to invest the money. You have to invest the money. And at a certain point in your business, yes. But when you're just starting out, you need to DIY as many things as you possibly can within reason. Because if you're spinning your wheels, just like trying to DIY your website and you're not getting anywhere, yes, enlist in someone's help just so that you can have the website and get it out there and check it off your to-do list. But there are a ton of great resources online and templates that you can buy to get started. And I think that when starting a business, we kind of want everything to be perfect and polished. And it's not going to be. Mine wasn't. Like, I'm a web designer. My website for my business when I first started was not that great. Because ultimately, I didn't know who I was serving. I didn't really know the direction of my business. And it took me a couple of years to figure that out. And so that's another reason why I don't think people should invest big money and time or energy into custom design when they're first starting out because there's a lot of information and data that you'll collect about yourself, about your business over the years. And especially if you're in a service industry, you're offering one-to-one services, Mm -hmm. you're going to figure out what kind of people you want to work with, what kind of people you don't want to work with. A lot of trial and error, figuring out what services you want to offer. So I feel like upfront, you're going to be spending a lot of time and a lot of energy just kind of figuring who you are as a business owner and what your business stands for and where you're steering that spaceship. And so I think investing thousands of dollars in a custom website from Jump is not a good idea because there's a big chance that you're going to be right back at that spot where you're going to be investing thousands of dollars in a year or two or three, because Mm -hmm. then you've got that data and you're like, oh, this is really what I need to be doing. So my advice for people just starting out who are still in that phase of kind of trial and error and beta testing products and services, get a template or get a friend to help you. Or if you have the ability to DIY a website yourself, then do it yourself because that's what DIY stands for. Do it yourself. Heard it here, folks. But yeah, so as a web designer, you don't, have to spend a whole bunch of money right out of the gates on custom web design. Please don't do that. Spend your time and energy and money in growing your business and getting yourself to that point where you know who you are, you know who you're serving, you've worked out all the kinks in your services or your products, and then you're ready to invest. So that's my advice. That's great advice. What should the website show to people who go on it? Anyone's website. 
anyone's website. I think number one, it needs to tell them immediately who you are or who your business is, what you're selling, and why that visitor needs it or wants it. You have seconds basically to capture their attention and show them or tell them with your copy that they're in the right place. And I think a lot of times when we're in that DIY phase of writing website copy, which is the words on your website, we are kind of telling the visitor what we think they need to know. You know, we're talking about hi, I offer this service and I'm good at this service because I have this experience in this service rather than, hey, you have this problem, I have this solution for you. So I think that as a web designer, I'm not a copywriter, but that's a huge thing that people need to have on their website is- Setting them apart. Right, that and that benefit-driven information that's like, Hey, welcome to this website. These are the problems that you have. These are the solutions that I have for you. This is the kind of person I am. Maybe you're that kind of person and maybe we share these values. And I think that if I check these boxes for you, you check these boxes for me, we're a great fit. So I think that's definitely the number one thing that people need to focus on, especially when you're DIYing your website is a design is just a part of the website. You know, the words on your website are more important actually than the design as the web designer tells you that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So that's something I would definitely tell people who are in that new phase to really focus on writing their website copy for their visitor from their perspective. We tend to be too close to our businesses And then so we feel like we have to sell ourselves in in that I have these credentials. I have this experience. This is why you should hire me to do this rather than like, these are the benefits that you'll get from investing in this product or this service that I have for you. So basically solving the person's problem. Mm. Yeah. Have you ever heard of Jasper.ai? Is that the one that creates the copy for you? Yes. Okay. One of my clients that I'm working with currently... Mm -hmm. told me that she was going to use that. I was like, okay, cool. And I was like, wait a minute, what? It does it for you? She's like, yeah, I haven't seen the copy yet, but I'm very excited to see it. But no, I've heard about it. And it's like on, you know, one of my many to-do lists floating around my office Mm -hmm. to look into that. I've used it. And? And it is amazing. But you also have to take into account, you can't just copy paste exactly what they're saying. You put in some input, like what your product is, your product name, your company name, and then you put in a tone of voice so they can have witty, casual, serious, or something like that. And then they give you different types, they call it outputs, of two different variations you can choose from. And sometimes you can copy the variation and then put in that variation to see the variation of the variation, if that makes sense. Hey, rabbit holy. I like yes. it. <laughs> very, very meta. Um, but I actually used it for my website because I am not the best at copy. I'm a decent writer, but copy is not my thing. But I, I put in all my products in there. It gave me some outputs. But you have to put in something to get what you wanted. Right. It's just a tool, but a very useful tool. Yeah. I'm going to have to move this up higher on my to-do list. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, like writing copy for your business as an entrepreneur, I'm a big advocate for hiring a a copywriter to help you write copy for your website. 
Then if you think about everything else that you're working on, like social media posts, caption, content, like you have to, at some point, we all have to get comfortable with being that copywriter for our business Mm -hmm. too, which marketing for your business and doing the stuff for your business is like a a whole other full-time job for me. You could even use the Jasper as a way to figure out how they're phrasing the sentences. Like, oh, they have a opener that sinks you in and then it tells you information and then they close it with something funny or they close it with something that's factual or something like that. So then you can see how they do it so then you can do it yourself. Oh, yeah, like the structure of how they're kind of forming the paragraph. That's That's cool. What do you have coming up? Personally or professionally? Both. (laughs) Whatever you want to share. I have some new websites that I'm going to be working on, which is very exciting. I'm working actually with a landscape designer who we kind of met in a similar community. Know who you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool that I joined Kelly Bennett's incubator and met a lot of cool people like you, Risha. And so... Now I'm starting to work with someone else who joined the incubator. So it was kind of like a cool connection that was made. And so I'll be working on her website this spring, which is very exciting. And I actually am going to be working on my uncle's hearing aid website pretty soon. Nice, nice. He's an audiologist. Cool. So I've got some cool projects lined up like that on the professional front. And personally... I don't have anything cool lined up. (laughs) Mom stuff? Yeah, just mom stuff. I went out, like I told you earlier, last weekend to a surprise birthday party. I'm going to my dad's this weekend. It is exciting. Where I grew up, they produce maple syrup. It's like a big thing. And so every year there's the maple festival. And so people make pancakes and serve maple syrup with it. They make maple donuts, make maple popcorn, maple candies, maple everything. And people come from all over to this little teeny tiny town that I grew up in that has like a population of like 2,000 people, like the whole county. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going up for the maple festival this weekend. (laughs) I love a good food festival. They're the best. The maple donuts are really only good when you eat them like hot right when you get them. So it's like you really... (laughs) have to invest in I'm gonna eat four donuts right now <laughs> because once they cool down they're garbage um <laughs> luckily I'm breastfeeding and I need the calories and one last question since the show is called currently processing Kate what mm-hmm. are you currently processing Ooh, I'm gonna go heavy on this one for you all for it I Like I said, I had my daughter in January and I was pretty naive going into, this is like the theme of this podcast episode for me, going into her birth because I was like, third kid, I'm going to be in and out. It's going to be the easiest of all. My first kid, I had an ordeal with a delivery turned into a, not emergency C-section, but had to have C-section. That's the only way it's coming out. Mm. So I was like, oh, nothing can be as bad as that, but it turned into... And then, you know, I didn't plan for my maternity leave. I didn't leave any margin for error, but it turned into an emergency C-section. And then that turned into a hysterectomy because things kind of went sideways. And 
they had put me down. I woke up five hours later and I was like, oh, I'm so thankful I'm not dead right now because when you told me you were going to put me under all the way, I was pretty sure I was going to wake up dead. That were having problems before that? Well, the delivery, she was kind of turned the wrong way. And so then they turned into this like, oh, the only way she's going to come out is a C-section. And then it turned into she was in like severe distress. And then they started kind of getting frantic. Mm. And we went to have the C-section and then they got her out and everything was fine. But then I was laying there and I was like, what are they doing? Like, why is this taking so long? Like, she's out, like things are fine. Yeah. And I asked my husband, I was like, what are they doing? It's like, they're stitching you up. I was like, no, they're not. They're sucking. I hear this bunch of sucking noises. And he's like, no, you're fine. I was like, I don't think I'm fine. Were you bleeding? Yes. And I asked the anesthesiologist, like, am I fine? He's like, no, not really. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I love how he's honest. Yeah. So yeah, something had kind of ruptured a little bit when they were getting my daughter out and they couldn't stop the bleeding and ultimately had to clamp down like the blood source to the uterus. So once they did that, there was no one doing it. (laughs) They were having trouble getting enough blood in me as it was exiting my body rapidly. So it was... At transfusions? Yes. No one kind of really told me anything in the hospitals. I felt like they were like, don't say anything or maybe she won't ask any questions. Uh, But it was like 16 bags of packed red blood is what they gave me. Yeah, so it it was intense. And I think I'm still very much in shock from it because I'm like, this is America. These are professional doctors. I don't have any need to be nervous or scared about going in to have a baby. Mm-hmm. And I almost died. And I'm currently processing that. Do you view it as a near-death experience? Or have you not processed I don't, that yet? I don't think I quite have because I haven't slowed down enough to allow myself to think about it. It I, sounds pretty traumatic from yeah. listening. Yeah, because I hadn't planned for the maternity leave. So I don't know if that's like a good thing or a bad thing mm-hmm. because I got home from the hospital and I had a meeting lined up for like the day after I got home. And my husband's like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, it's on the books. I'm attending it. And he was <laughs> super mad about it, which, you know, he should have been. He had to help me up the stairs and to my desk. <laughs> so I've been busy with client work and I've been busy with taking care of the kids and all that stuff. And so I have really stopped to give myself that much time to process it. And I think because I am alive and I have the opportunity to think about it or bury it, I've chosen to bury it currently, which is super unhealthy. Don't recommend that. But yeah, it is heavy. Once I slow down enough, I think it's changed my perspective in a good way on how I want to run my business and like how I want to be an entrepreneur, what kind of boundaries I'm going to be a stickler about and what's important to me, which is a good thing. But at the end of the day, it shouldn't take, you know, a near-death experience to have boundaries in your business to protect, you know, your time and your energy. But when you're first starting out, you kind of get in that, you know, hustle mindset where you got to work, you got to work to build up, to build up, to build up. But no one's going to tell you that you're 
done building. You have to decide that you're done building. You have to decide that you're going to make those boundaries and those parameters for yourself. And I think that especially transitioning from working for someone else to them working for yourself, like you kind of expect someone to tell you, guide you or to direct you to do certain things. And then Mm -hmm. realize like, oh crap, like that's me. Like I have to do that. When you kind of hit that wall or you hit that point of burnout when you're like, oh, I was like waiting for someone to kind of step in and tell me to stop or tell me to pause, but that's me. So I have a a better grasp on what boundaries I want to set in place for myself and kind of where I want to find that balance. Unfortunately, I'm still kind of digging myself out of that hole (laughs) from not having a maternity leave. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it, it was definitely an eye opening experience like what matters and what doesn't matter. I get that. Yeah. I want to thank everyone for listening and be sure to follow Kate on social media. All of her details would be in the show notes. Thank you so much for having me, Risha. Thank you for coming. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy this episode and you like to support the podcast, consider becoming a subscription member, sharing it with a friend, or leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Currently Processing Podcast. Thanks again, and I'll see you soon.